0: wonderful singing today when you sit towards the front i get to hear the volume it's wonderful it's wonderful it's also nice when it's loud around you then you feel like you can belt it out and you can sing and you're not offending anybody if you don't have the best voice i know what that feels like and i trust that our time in god's word will be a blessing as well Um, you guys look great today some of you put on some ties. You don't normally wear ties. I saw, I think we see more hats on Easter Sunday than we usually see. And um, we have some beautiful babies around here. If you don't get a chance to see some of the babies, go out of your way. And um, I've already put one asleep in the very back over there. I don't feel too bad about that. But uh, you try to stay awake. And I do hope you have a wonderful day where we center everything around Jesus Christ. But God's the one that gave us our family. And I hope you have a nice time with your family are able to enjoy that. I think God wants that to be sweet on special days like Resurrection Sunday. I'm going to ask you to bow with me one more time. We'll ask for God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, I would ask that you would allow us to very much so be tuned in to the next several minutes as we're able to open your word and celebrate this wonderful story, which is the foundation of our hope, We thank you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his willing sacrifice on the cross. We praise you that his blood was sufficient to wash away the sins of the world. And we thank you for the invitation, whosoever will may come. I would ask, God, that you would allow us to very much so be encouraged by what you've done in the past and what you're doing right now in our lives and what you will do in the future. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Nineteen years ago, Reed Hastings had a famous meeting in Dallas, Texas. Hastings was the um, owner and operator of a fledgling company that was having some struggles, and he was trying to figure out how they could take that next step. It was a video uh, business, and they could not figure out how to quite get over that next hump and so he we went and set up a meeting with Blockbuster Video in Dallas, Texas. Now, for those of you under the age of 15, Blockbuster Video were stores that were all around the country where you could go and you could get these discs that had movies on them and games as well. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Most of us know what that is. Even up to five or six years ago, we might have seen a Blockbuster sign around here. They had 8,000 stores across the world and over 60,000 employees, Hastings recounts that meeting that he had with those executives and says he literally was laughed out of the meeting. If we can fast forward 19 years, if you visit the small town of Bend, Oregon, you can go and you can visit the very last and only blockbuster video. There's one left in the entire world. Maybe if you go out west, you'll make a trip. Hastings his previously struggling company, doing very well. Valued at over $15 billion, Netflix has changed the way the world watches movies. If only they could have known then what they know now. You know, in the world that we live in, there is no guarantee that any business, no matter its size, will be around in 10 years even in five years, there's no guarantee of value for what you might consider to be a wonderful and successful business. But I want to suggest to us today that there is a guarantee that the son or daughter of God can hold fast to that no drop in the economy, no change in business techniques. There is something that you and I can hold on to that is guaranteed for the rest of our life to bring a wonderful return. No value is a difficult place for a company to get to. But such a lack of hope is not the case for men and women today. And what we're going to see in God's word today is that there is always hope for the child of God who will put their hope in the right thing. They will keep their focus on the right areas. There's always hope for this son or this daughter of God. All that to bring us to our text. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, would you turn to Luke chapter 24, please? Luke chapter 24 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a a Bible in the pew rack in front of you. And if you do not own a Bible, take that Bible that's in the PUREC and keep that as our gift to you. Luke chapter 24, and we're not going to read in the first 12 verses. During our praise time, those verses were read to us. The women going, discovering the empty tomb, individuals finding out about it. But what we're going to see are some more events that happened on Resurrection Sunday that I think can help us with this area of... Hope. I'm going to read a lengthy section, starting in verse 13, and I'll go down through 32. It's, it's a wonderful narrative. It's familiar to many of us, and I hope it will bring something new to us as well today. That very day, so this is Easter, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that there was, that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and, th- and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels. Who said that he was alive? Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village where they were going. He acted as if he were going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent." And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. We'll stop there. When we look at this story and these two characters that are involved, we have the name of one, Cleopas. We don't have the name of the other. We don't know anything about these guys from before this story. Clearly they're followers of Jesus Christ. They were ones that did not give up before the crucifixion so they were in a small group. They see everything and hear everything that happened on Resurrection Sunday morning, and they're confused by these things. And they're walking from Jerusalem, and whenever whenever you walk from Jerusalem, you're always walking down, because Jerusalem's on a mountain. They're walking down, and they're walking down to Emmaus. Emmaus is about seven miles. This is about a a two-and-a-half-hour walk, so if I can ask you to put yourself in this setting, a a two-and-a-half-hour walk, on Easter Sunday, where these followers of Jesus Christ not only had been through all the events of the crucifixion a couple days earlier, but now there's confusion. There is hope that they have held on to for so long that has been dashed, and they're not sure what to believe. And so, of course, they're talking about it. Two and a half hours to talk. And beautifully, God records this story for us. We see here that as they are walking and as they are talking, Jesus joins with them, and their eyes are hidden from the fact that it is Jesus, the Messiah. And Jesus does something that he's known for. He asks questions. He asks at least a couple questions here. And Christ never asked questions because he did not have an answer or the information. He always asked a question for the benefit of the one that he was asking the question from. He joins them, they don't recognize him. In verse 17, when he asked this first question, they stop their walk. Now they've got some walking to do still ahead of them, but they stop their walk, and they look this man in the eye, and they say, and the Bible tells us that they stood still and they were looking sad. Now we are not surprised by this response. Their countenance reflected what was on the inside. But I want for us today to focus on really a couple different lines in this story. Things that, lessons that Christ teaches them that I think we can apply right to ourselves today. I want to point you back again to verse number 19. So look at verse number 19 again. And we'll read down a couple verses. Where it says, He said to them, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be content, condemned to death and crucified him. Look at this next line. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel we need to have an understanding of what the Jews' expectation of a Messiah was. Because a suffering Messiah was not even in their vocabulary. No one was looking for the Messiah to come and to die. Instead, what kind of a personality person were they looking for? They were looking for a military leader, right? They were under the oppression of Rome. They hated those Romans. We see that all throughout the story of the crucifixion. And they wanted so badly for a military leader to come and deliver them from that bondage. How in the world could Israel have freedom and joy? have the glory that she once had years ago without this kind of a deliverer. So you need to understand that these two wonderful men that are walking on the road talking about the events of the day in the past few days, they were confused because they did not have anything in their mind that would accept a suffering Messiah. They wanted someone to overthrow Caesar. And when the Messiah who was great in word and great in deed with God and the people, this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, he, had every, he checked every box of what they wanted up until he breathed his last breath. And at that point, their hopes were gone. They didn't know what else to do. They had their hopes, as, the, as verse 21 tells us in this And I want to encourage us today that discouragement, when discouragement comes to you and I, discouragement is going to persist when our hopes are not realized. If you're hoping for something, you're wanting something, and you're found lacking again and again, you will find yourself in a place of discouragement And maybe you can put on a happy face. Maybe when somebody says, how are you doing? You'll say, fine, when you're really not fine. But it will likely will come a point where someone that you can be honest with will see you and you will stand still. And you are sad because the thing that you had the hope in has left you empty. Can you recall a time when something that you had placed quite a bit of hope in Did not meet your expectations. The Bible talks about this. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I know this message will resonate with so many because we live in a world that is dominated by depression. This is a world that we are in that is dominated by depression and dominated by options to solve that depression, right? If I were to pass around a clipboard right now and say write down how many solutions you've seen that people have offered for discouragement and depression, I bet I could fill a whole page just this morning with the commercials that you've seen, the things that maybe you have tried. There are so many people out there offering something, and I want to suggest to you that we're not much better because what we do is when our hopes are dashed in one area... If we can't get that fixed, what we'll do is we'll take some other area, and let me just say this a little bit prematurely maybe, a secondary area. And we'll put that way up here in our life. And if I can just have these hopes fulfilled, if I can finally have my expectations met, and even for those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they can have a life that is dominated by depression. And we learn something from Cleopas and his friend. You see, they were not allowing the most important truth about the Messiah to dominate their thinking. Instead, their hopes were in a military leader. No room for a suffering Messiah. And for you and I, we can get to the place in life where we allow something secondary to be over our hope in God for joy in this world. What are some of those secondary things that sometimes get focused on? Well, for some it might be a career. Some individuals will be able to look down the road, have in their mind what their career is going to be, what kind of a house they're going to buy, what their day might look like, what they might look like physically even while they're doing that career. And then if you fast forward down the road 10 years, 30 years, some people have not had those expectations met. Some folks take a spouse and they put their hopes very, very high in that spouse to drive them in their life. I'll talk more about husbands and wives in just a moment. But that's a dangerous thing. I want you to notice that all these things I'm going to mention, none of them are sin, none of them are wrong. In fact, you need to have all of these in your life in one form or another. Another area where we get our hopes up is in our family. How many parents have seen a prodigal child and they pray and they weep for that child to come home? You know, you and I are fooled into thinking that if we can just get one of these important areas straight, that it will lead to joy. Cleopas and his friends stood there sad because they had their hopes not focused on the right thing. Some individuals will look at marriage and they think that if they can just get the perfect marriage or even a decent marriage, that is going to solve their problems. For some women, they get this knight in shining armor idea. They'll see somebody. And by the way, we guys, we put our best foot forward while we're dating. We usually do. If you spend enough time with someone, you'll find out what their faults are, and you know what they're really like. Maybe I've often times teased, and I think that everybody before they should get before they get married should spend time with the other's family at Christmas time and see what that goes like. That might change your mind. For some people, some women have this knight in shining armor syndrome, and they think that husband's going to fix their problems. And I want to challenge us today, no matter what stage you're at, if you are putting your husband or your wife above finding joy in Jesus Christ. I hope you have a great husband and a wife. I do. But it's going to leave you lacking if that's your priority. There are some men and if we can be brutally honest today, there are some men struggling with the purity of their mind. This dominates our day. We don't like to talk about it. And there are some men who have a perverted mind and they have practices they would never want anyone to know about And they think, if I can just get married, that problem will go away. That'll be solved. Not realizing that they carry that problem right into their marriage. I want to challenge us with what Jesus tells us, the solution that he gives. Now, before I do that, I want to ask you to do a little bit of critical thinking And I oftentimes think of um, either books that I've read or movies that I've seen and important points in those. And here's the question I'm trying to get at so you can get a run at this and maybe think of something in your own mind. When there was someone, maybe a military leader or a king, and they wanted someone killed, there was oftentimes something that they would request to be brought back to them. I can think of two different things in different settings that would be asked for. But if you want proof positive that someone is dead, one of two things pop up. Maybe you can think of what they are. Sometimes someone would chop off somebody's head, right? If you bring them their head, we see that with David and Goliath. That's where the story gets into rated PG-13 or maybe even rated R, right? David and Goliath, bring back the head, is what David did of the giant. Oftentimes individuals would say, bring me their head. There's also... Sometimes, when individuals wanted proof of death, where they would say, bring back their heart. Bring back the heart in a box, I think one famous story says. You see, the head and the heart are so, so important to life. And Jesus Christ knows this. Christ is going to point these two individuals, he's going to point to their head and he's going to point to their heart and we're going to see the incredible combination of these things that is needed for us. Can I point you to verse number 26 again of our text? Look at verse number 26 and 27 where it says, Jesus is teaching them now. Was it not necessary for the, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And so here we find that Jesus Christ teaches them in their mind. There's a Bible lesson going on. And I'm going to talk about this idea of the importance of our minds and what we're putting in our heads, but can I just take a quick rabbit trail and ask you to look at what, where these guys are at, who is with them, and then the Bible tells us that Jesus, beginning with Moses, goes through a Bible study and teaches them everything that the Bible says concerning himself. All right, what must that Bible study have been like, right? Right? I have written in my Bible next to those words, jealous, is what I have written down there. They didn't know who he was, but do you think he made a mistake in his teaching? Holy smokes. I imagine the next time they had somebody teaching on that stuff, they probably thought, man, you're dropping the ball, man. You're falling way short. We heard they would know then Jesus Christ tell us of these things. All right, let's get back to our head knowledge. Jesus Christ opened the scriptures and encouraged them with the revelation of God and this is going to be jugular to us having our hope focused on the right things. We cannot separate it from the word of God. You cannot separate the head from the body, the heart from the body. You cannot separate joy in this world from God's word. And there are many people who are very, very good at this Maybe they've got a devotional plan. Maybe they've got a program that they use to read God's word. But there are many people who get it right with the head knowledge, but there is no connection of the heart. I get that word right from Jesus Christ, and I'll I'll point it out to you in just a moment. The big question is how do we get our hope in the right place? We are helped by these guys. The conversation between them and Jesus, because look with me again at verse number twenty-eight and twenty-nine. So they, so they. Well, let's let's back up. Verse twenty-five says, "O foolish ones and slow of what heart to believe." There's the combination. He explains the scriptures to them, but he says, "You guys are slow of heart." How often do we use that phrase, "slow of heart"? Not very often. It doesn't happen too much. And yet here we see there's a combination that is needed for them to have their hope in the right place. All right, now 28 and 29. Here's what Jesus does for them. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in with them we find a beautiful lesson here that these individuals who go through this head knowledge this revelation explained to them by the master teacher and then when they get to the place where they are going they urge him come come on with us come inside stay with us the day's almost over you've got to be tired and they don't just go in and go to bed they go in and they share a meal Here's what's going on. They are breaking bread together. There is a communion that is happening between these men and Jesus Christ. So they had the head knowledge and then God is so patient to wait until they can get the heart knowledge, until their eyes are opened and they see who is with them. And they talked about that teaching on the road. Didn't their hearts burn within them? Let's go ahead and jump to verse. We'll look at verse 33 and read down through 48 to finish the story. Starting in verse 33. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. So let me stop there. They had just gone two and a half hours from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They meet Jesus. They go in. They have the meal. They find out it's Jesus Christ. And they turn around and they go right back. They've got some important news saying, verse 34, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And when they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And at that, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in the name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We're gonna stop our point in the story there, but I do want to just give one more aspect that many people, as they look at this, And they see their hopes were dashed because Jesus took his last breath. They were not looking for a suffering Messiah. Now God encourages them and God appeared to thousands of witnesses and proved that he rose from the grave. It's beautiful. But what is going to happen as Jesus Christ gets back with his followers is he's going to spend some time with them. He's going to do some more teaching, some more encouraging. And then what is going to happen once again? Jesus Christ is going to leave. The ascension is coming, and Christ is going to leave his followers again. And that mental picture that I have of them staring up in the air, then the angels saying, what are you looking at? Get busy. He's going to come back. The head and the heart. This combination is going to be key for you and for me. Now, it could be that today is the very first time that God has opened your mind. We saw that a couple times there, right? That God has opened your mind, this truth that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And you can have an eternal father and a home in heaven forever if you will accept this gift of salvation. If that is you today, and I've already prayed this morning, if there's someone here that's never made Jesus Christ their Savior, that they would do so today. I would invite you on this Easter Sunday to do that. If you need forgiveness, you can ask for forgiveness based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This combination of Bible knowledge and Holy Spirit living, walking through this world, doing the very, very best that you can with the word of God that you've been given, with the brain that God has given you, you're doing your very, very best, but then also very much God is involved in directing your steps to the point where you'll know there's no such thing as luck, no such thing as coincidence, the Holy Spirit working, adding his blessing to what you are doing. This is the beautiful way for us to have our our hopes in something that can never be taken away. For as long as you live, nothing can take away your hope when you have it in the work of Jesus Christ, not only for salvation, but for the gospel to change your life and how you live from day to day. All right, what can we do with this? What can you do? Well, first of all, this is very practical. Have a plan for the intake of God's word, the daily intake of God's word. And I know when I use that word daily, some people are going to think, boy, kind of legalistic, huh? Boy, what's going on? But I think very much so, we need to give time and attention daily to God. How can we do this? Well, first of all, have a plan. Maybe you're the kind of person that does not need a plan and can go 20 years and not miss a day. But for most of us, we need to have some kind of a plan. And there are hundreds of plans that are out there. I shake it up. I do something different from year to year, typically. Have a plan for how you're going to take in God's word. I would challenge you with this. Listen to the Bible. Even this morning, I pressed the little button on my phone that says, Press to Listen to, and the Bible was read to me. And usually it's somebody with a great voice, better than my voice. And I listened through. I was in Acts this morning. I listened through about six chapters. Listen to the Bible. This can be a blessing and a challenge for you. And then also in taking in God's Word, involve good Bible teaching. The most important parts that you're reading the word for yourself, letting the Holy Spirit teach you, but add gifted teachers to your life, whether it be um, throughout the week, whether it be on Sunday, involve good teaching. That is the head, and that is important, and you're not going to be able to make it if you're not doing this. Your hopes will not last if you're not taking in the revelation of God's word. Number two, allow time for communion. Allow time for communion. Now, that's not near as easy to give a bullet point list for that one, right? How am I going to produce a tear after my time in God's Word or in my walk with God? Now, sometimes things in your life will drive you to shed a tear. I would encourage you with these things. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. Some folks are good at being still. Take a nap. I get that. That's not enough. Be still, it's important, and know that he is God. Maybe listen to music. It is common that I will be going through my Bible reading, especially in the Psalms, and I will have a song that comes to my head, and I can look that song up, and I can press a button and play that song, and it can be an encouragement and blessing to me. And then don't just leave it with yourself. Talk about what God is teaching you with spirit-filled people. Allow yourself to be sharpened you will not be able to get away from the plan that God has given us today that the local church is his plan for every one of his sons and daughters until he comes back. And I know for some, those are fighting words. I get that. But I am sold out. Not only because I work at a local church, but because I believe that for us to have what God wants us to have, there's going to have to be worship, corporate worship, joining together with others, instruction, There's got to be a fellowship, and that doesn't just mean having a meal together. It means sharing life together, and there's got to be expression of God's love, and there are all kinds of areas out there that you can supplement worship, instruction, fellowship, and expression, but there's nothing like what God has given us in the church. That's why he has put us here And then let me say this final word to you. It has to be the taking in of the heart, the taking in of the mind. It it cannot be like a lake or a pond. It has to be like a flowing river, like that tree that is planted by the river. That's what it has to be. You can take in so much of God's word and build your head up so big. You can't just check that box and say, I'm good to go for another 15 years. It has to be refreshing. It has to be something that is new to you because God the Holy Spirit wants to teach you something. Be taking in that revelation, but then also maybe that tear that gets shed or that burden for a lost soul, that communion with God, that has to be something that is ongoing. And as we put these two things together, we find that we are able to walk in this world and have our hopes in something that can never be taken away. Be taken away. Cleopas and his friend were looking for a military leader. That's what they had put their hopes in. Can I challenge you today to look higher than whatever is the top rung right now for you? Put Jesus Christ and his hope that he will bring for the rest of your life in first place. Use these days well and know that he loved you so much that he died on a cross for you, conquered the grave, and conquered sin so that you and I could have all eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we look to this familiar story, we are continually blessed. May it never grow old to us. May we hear it talked about thousands of times and still want to hear it more. May we be saying the line from that old song, tell me again the story of Jesus, because we are involved in that story. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for what you have done in giving us this wonderful gift of the crucifixion of your Son so that we might have life eternal. And we are able to look back in hindsight and see that there had to be a suffering Messiah, there had to be death so that we could have life. I'm going to give you a chance to pray. If you are here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, would you just stop right now and say, God, would you forgive me of my sins based on the work of your Son on the cross and make me your child today? It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. If he's pulling on your heart, there's a communion that's going on and he's pulling you. Pray and ask him for forgiveness right now maybe you're here today and you've got your hopes in something that's a good thing and you need it to be improved but you need it to be in the right perspective in the right placement you've allowed something to be higher than God take a moment to pray about that